Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on winter tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're going to talk to our friend David Locke coming up here momentarily. Locke's appearance on the show brought to you by our friends at the Murdoch Auto Group. Of course, the radio voice of the Utah Jazz. We'll get his thoughts on uh, what to expect tonight against the Suns, Gordon. Yeah, I'm, I, it's a good time to talk with David. But before we do, I've got to say, I saw that Austin retweeted some, or he liked a tweet from Sven saying, Ken Burns is a detailed storyteller. If that makes him great to you, great. And Austin liked that tweet. What you guys don't fail to understand is that Ken Burns won like 40 awards for that Civil Wars documentary. Why, why do you think I fail to understand that? Well, I mean, it won all kinds of awards. So, I mean. So? So it was a. It was, it so was, did In Sync, and I don't care was, for their music. It, 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 was, it, it was acclaimed as a great series. Birdman, just... Birdman won the Oscar, and that movie sucked. <laughs> <laughs> With Michael Keaton. Yeah, <laughs> horrible. That was a bad year. Yeah, I want that whatever two and a half hours of my life back because that was dreadful. Uh, let's ask David this. I'd like to know whether he whether he was a fan of uh, Ken Burns and what he thought of that particular series, The Civil War, because I thought it was great storytelling. I really did. Joining us now, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, here to uh, gratefully change the subject. Hi, David. <laughs> hey, dude. Hey, Monson. How long have you been yeah. in this town? What's it been now? 28, 29 years? When was the last time there was a regular season basketball game where the Jazz were the one seed playing the two seed? Uh, I imagine it would have been in 97 or 98. That's a long time ago. Why in gosh darn's name are you talking about Ken Burns right now? Great question. And when we have the voice of the jazz on the show to talk about. Why would anybody possibly care about this? Exactly. I love you, but why are we talking about Ken Burns and binge watching before binge watching was in and TV before TV was good? The reason we were talking about it, David, is because we do four or five hours of radio every day. And we, <laughs> we can't talk about the jazz the whole time. Can I remind you a phrase that I used to tell you when I was your program director? Play the hits, my friend. Play the hits. Over and over and over again. And you know what Ken Burns is not? The hits. Hit. No, no, he's not you that. Guys, Gordon, come on. I can come tell. on. I'm joking and laughing, and Gordon doesn't think I'm funny right now. This is going to be a testy interview. This is uncomfortable. I can tell Gordon's mad at me. <laughs> no, I just, it's surprising to me coming from you, David, because you're, when I think of you and, and our experience together doing radio, you were always about expanding various discussions and not limiting them to a singular emphasis. That's all. I'm sitting here trying to go through the history of the Utah Jazz and trying to find the last time the Jazz played a game with this relevance in the regular season, and I haven't found it yet. 
Yeah, it's it is pretty amazing. I, I'm really looking forward to this game tonight. And and David, I'm curious to know from you what you what you make of this. I mean, I think the Suns are really dangerous. I think they're legitimate. And it's, it seems like there's a lot of people, observers around the NBA, who kind of swat the Jazz and the Suns aside for one reason or the other. When I look at these two teams, I think they're fantastic, and I think they're dangerous, and I think they're contenders. If you don't buy the Jazz, you don't buy the Suns. And if you buy the Jazz, you got to buy the Suns. They're, 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 they're very similar, and they have the same flaws. Neither of them have stars that have won in the playoffs. Neither of them have stars that are what I, a phrase I used with Scotty and Hans this week, that are uh, opponent, like aren't opponent dependent, right? Like Luka and LeBron and Kawhi. doesn't really matter what you do to them. Um, you know, we'll see if Devin Booker reaches that point. We'll see if Donovan Mitchell uh, reaches that point where it, it just does, where they really truly become unguardable. Um and so, yeah, I, I think that if you don't buy one, you don't buy the other right now. And, you know, you don't buy – you buy this regular season's a little different than other regular seasons and you, you in some ways like that. But, um, you know, that you believe you got to have LeBron. You got, believe you got to have Jokic. You believe you have to have Harden, like, or something of that sort. Okay, I'll, if that's your logic, then I'll have, to, I'll have to tip my hat to you. At least you have consistency and logic. But these two teams have been great. They've been the two best teams in the NBA. They've avoided COVID. They've avoided injuries. Um, they've been consistent in, a, in an inconsistent season, and that's, that's the greatest thing you can say to both these teams. David, Eddie Johnson was on the station earlier today with Hanson Scotty, and he's an analyst uh, for the Suns. He does Sirius XM Radio as well. But uh, he said, statistic, if you look at the statistics, Devin Booker is undoubtedly better than Donovan Mitchell. Do you agree? Did he look at his 28% shooting in the clutch this year when he said that? I don't believe he mentioned his clutch shooting now. <laughs> he didn't he didn't he didn't mention he didn't mention his 28% sh- that he's that he's 16 of 58 in the clutch this year and 5 of 22 from 3. That that he didn't mention that? Nope. nope. Didn't come up. Oh, that's interesting. Um see cuz if we're really being honest about these two guys, that's actually both their next steps. Donovan's 35% in the clutch, 26% from three. He's only been okay. Booker's been far worse. Um, it's interesting. The, the numbers clearly show it. Really? Booker is slightly more efficient than Donovan. Booker is taller than Donovan, which I do think matters. Um, but I'm not sure what numbers he's speaking of. Um I don't really like counting stats a great deal, but I think their points per game and all their other stuff are pretty similar. Here's what I do think is really interesting about these two guys. And that is, I think they're both mischaracterized as who they are as players. Devin Booker is a scorer, not a shooter. Yet everyone thinks he's a shooter. Donovan Mitchell is a shooter not a scorer, but everybody thinks he's a scorer. Donovan's one of the great shooters in the NBA. Guy who he's generally averaging about 40% from three, eight attempts a year. That's only been done by like four guys ever in the history of the game going into the last season. Three of them, actually. Ray Allen did it. Steph Curry did it. Clay Thompson did it. Joe Harris. Like, that's it. Donovan is one of the great shooters in this league. He's 
When you look at the players who have taken eight threes and made 40%, Ray Allen, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Joe Harris, Duncan Robinson, Donovan Mitchell, he's a shooter. When you look at the best catch-and-shoot guys in the NBA over the last four years, Joe Harris is one, Donovan Mitchell's two. He's a shooter. Devin Booker's a scorer. Devin Booker plays off the bounce. He goes horizontally across the pick-and-roll. He gets in the lane. He uses his size to pull up for jump shots. But he's not a shooter, per se. He'll get an open look. He'll probably make the shot. He's pretty darn good. But that's where these two guys are very, very different than what most people in the league think they are. Heard you talking earlier in the week, David, about how DeAndre Aiden has improved. Expand upon that a little bit. How much better of a player is he today than he was maybe before the year? Well, he was a defensive disaster earlier this year, um, or early in his career. So that's the first thing is that he's he's really become a a more engaged defender, and you know we should just give you know give him credit for that. And I think that's where he's improved uh, more than any aspects. And then I think just general overall kind of game focus and maturity, but he's in his third or fourth year in the league. Like what, you know, he came in after one, like, what do we, sometimes the expectations aren't fair. And I think, you know, he just had to learn the game and learn defensively. And he used to look horrendous. And frankly, he looked horrendous in the preseason games against us this year. So I'll be interested to see. I've got some, I've got a really interesting note because I got Gordon's mad at me right now. I got to see if I can get Gordon to not be mad at me anymore by at least reminding him I come up with interesting notes that nobody else would know. Okay. okay. Are you ready, right. Gordon? Yep, I'm ready. All right. This is my peace offering. I come with unique peace offerings. <laughs> In Aiton's first year, he shot 9 of 21 when Gobert was the closest defender. Since then, he shot 6 of 9. So has he figured Gobert out? No. He stopped taking shots. In the first year, he took 21 shots in 19 minutes when guarded by Gobert, and he went 9 of 21, 44%. Since then, he's only taken 9 shots in 13 minutes of being guarded by Gobert. So he went from about 1.1 shots per minute to about 0.6 shots per minute because he simply stopped shooting against Rudy Gobert. We'll see whether that holds tonight. David, one thing that we had Come on, Tom Gordon. Tam- that was pretty good. Yeah, that was good. I, I liked it. I liked You're all your stuff. You're still mad stats. at me, aren't you? You're still sour. No, I'm not. Still no, sucking a lemon not. over there. I can feel it. No, I, I just uh, – maybe I don't care enough. <laughs> but I, I'm not mad. I want to ask you about what Tom Chambers said uh, earlier uh, on our show. He, he said that the Suns have the best bench in the NBA. Do you think the Suns bench is considerably better well, the they Jazz's. are really feeling good about themselves, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, they're twenty-seven and six over their last stretch of games, and that, and that is when they have been hot, and that is that is wildly impressive. It's too bad our record's better in that time period. They must. Wow, they are feeling good about themselves. It would be really a crushing blow to feel that good about yourselves and get your handed to you at home tonight, wouldn't it? That would just be too bad for Eddie and Tom. Um. They're really good. I'm just kind of having fun. Um, they have a unique lineup that they run out there with their bench units. It's been very successful. And that's with Dario Saric as their center. So when they when they have their overall, their team is about plus eight per, um, per 48 minutes. When they pull Aiton, 
and they bring in Sarge. And Sarge might not be like a household name to our average listener right now. He's a six foot ten European who came to the league as a three, has evolved into a five. He's a decent shooter, good ball mover. They're plus fifteen when Sarge is on the floor and Eaton is off the floor. So as much as we just talked about how Eaton is so much better, the fact of the matter is when Eaton's on the floor, this team is not as good as when he's on the bench. They're plus seven. They're still good when he's on the floor. But they're great when he goes off and they go to that bench unit with Sarge. So that'll be key to watch tonight. In the first matchup of these two teams, Monty Williams matched DeAndre Eaton to Rudy Gobert for much of the game and broke their regular substitution pattern. And then, um, and we'll see whether or not he does that again or whether or not he now is confident enough about his bench or he wants Sarge matched up on favors um, or not. Because, frankly, it's probably to our advantage a little bit to have favors dealing with their stretch lineup um, and the way they're doing it. It'll be interesting to kind of keep an eye on that tonight. He usually, in the last few games, I checked it today, Aiton played the about the first nine or ten minutes of the first quarter. Rudy only plays the first five. Watch the five-minute mark if Aiton stays in the game or whether they're going to their bench unit. What they've been doing is playing a five-man bench unit that – is Javon Carter, Dario Saric, uh, Cameron Johnson, Torrey Craig, and and, and then uh, Chris Paul kind of comes in and leads it in the second quarter when it's great. That would be against the Jazz best lineup. Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson, Joe Ingles, George Niang, and Rudy Gobert. We've been at our best between the end of the first quarter and the end of the second. That's when they've been at their best, too. That'll be a key part of this basketball game. i got a follow-up question for you, David, about Jay Crowder. How much of an advantage is it to have a player who used to play on the opponent's team? Is that any kind of factor at all? I do think it is an advantage, particularly because I think that the Jazz have some unique qualities of how they play. And so um, I think that that's – I think he can help them out a little bit. What we're going to see tonight – Every time Rudy Gobert rolls the basket, someone's going to hit him. That's what Dallas did. Larry Allen, former Cowboy Hall of Famer offensive tackle, would have been would have been impressed by the blocking the Mavericks did on Rudy Gobert's rolls to the basket. They're going to that that worked. They're going to follow that lead. They're going to hit, but they're also going to add a twist that Dallas couldn't add, which was physical play on the wing. So Mikel Bridges is a great defender. Jay Crowder is physical, getting in on our wing passers and our wing entry plays and seeing and top blocking us and seeing how we react to that physically. So that's going to be a huge part of this game is how the Jazz react to Jay Crowder, the physical play of Jay Crowder, Mikel Bridges, but also watch Rudy's roles early in the game and see how many guys he's running into, how many guys are hitting him and whether or not, um, you know, the Jazz can handle that. David, thank you very much as always. We'll see you here at the arena tonight. I have one last thing for you. All right. As a great, great philosopher once said, let's go. <laughs> Thanks, David. See ya. David Locke, you'll hear him tonight on the call with Ron Boone. Uh, Tip-off coming your way a little after 8 o'clock. Should be a good one. I'm really looking forward to it, man. It's going to be fun to see this game, see how the Jazz react, see what kind of shape they're in after that uh, disappointing 
performance against Dallas. Uh, they, they should be completely up for this one. I, I think it's going to be a real battle. How long do you remember, uh, Gordon, off the top of your head? David was trying to think of the last time a Jazz matched up 1-2 uh, versus a team in the Western Conference. How long were the Jazz in first back in, uh, what did you say, 97-98? I mean, this, this honestly is something that may never have ha- happened. I thought that they were. I thought they were in first place for much of the season. Was it much? But, of the, I can't remember. I'm. I'm. Well, the 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 second. Let's see. The first year they had the best record in the league at the end of the year, and uh, I think they did finish very strong that year. But uh, I thought they had a bunch of wins. I thought so it was the to... second year where they had home court advantage and the and were the best team in the league. I thought that was year two. The because... record was actually better the first year. Were they in first though? I, in the West, right? Yeah, I think they were. But now you've but the whole league, my interest. not the whole league, right? Well, the Bulls had home court advantage in, in the, the first, first finals, year, yeah. right? The second time the Jazz did. Yeah, I think that's I, right. Yeah, that definitely is right. Because but the record, the record was actually better the first finals trip. If I'm, I, I, I swear I'm remembering that correctly, but I'm checking as we speak. But anyway, it's something that uh, that hasn't happened a lot in Jazz franchise history. That's why, uh, you know, folks enjoy the ride. This team has spent most of the year with the best record in the league. Okay, so in '96, '97, they finished with a record of 64 and 18. And I can't go through game by game. I don't. I, I can't give you updates. But I, that that would. That would suggest that they were in first a lot. The following year, they were 62 and 20. So two so, games worse the following yeah. year, but mm-hmm. yet they had first. But they had home court, home court. Yeah, the second year. Huh. Yeah. And I really thought the Jazz were the best team in the league heading into that playoff series with the Bulls. I, I really did. I mean, two Hall of Famers uh, that seemed at the top of their games and. It just it didn't work out for him, but uh, yeah, those were special seasons, and you know to to demonstrate how great that sixty four and eighteen record was. We remember we were talking the other day about whether the Jazz could, how many losses they would whether they'd end up with with eighteen or fewer losses this year, playing ten fewer games. That's all you got to know because the Jazz. Have, I was talking to someone the other day, and they said this is the best I've ever seen the Jazz play, and that really gave me pause because I thought, is it better than what we saw in '97 and '98? Certainly different. I don't know how comparable it is. <laughs> Way different, yeah. All right, Jazz pregame starts at seven. Tip off uh, for Jazz Suns is at eight. We'll have more big show coming up next. 97.5 and twelve eighty the zone.